series was really to help people to understand and to appreciate more the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and also how the Holy Spirit wants to partner with us in, in ministry. And so uh, that's what we're, we've been seeking to do. And this morning we're going to uh, wind up this, the, uh, the series with this talk, The Holy Spirit and the Glory of God. And uh, at the end of this uh, talk, which I'm hoping to keep down to 30 minutes, we will spend some time just uh, asking the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Now, that might mean that uh, uh, if you've come with some physical ailment, and as always, our ministry team before the service are praying, and we felt that the Lord was saying that there may be somebody here who has impacted wisdom tooth, problems with the jaw, breathing problems... Uh, problems uh, with an elbow, maybe even a chip there, Uh, someone who is uh, going for a scan and anxious about that. That may resonate with any of you, but it could also be that uh, you are are, are, are suffering from something or other that isn't on that list. Well, at the end of my talk, when I invite you to come forward, you may like to come forward and the ministry team will pray for you. But there are going to be other things as well. Maybe as you've, you've heard about the various works and aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry among us, maybe you've You've left, been left hungry and, and really wanting God to do more in your life, in which case we'll have you come down at the same time and pray for you. And then really, and this is my prayer for this morning, this, sort of, this final talk, we pray that, that you and I and all of us will have a deeper revelation of Christ and his glory. And that really is our heart's prayer. I, I love the worship this morning. Thank you so much, team. And I just found myself praying, Lord, we're coming up the mountain. We're coming up the mountain. A bit like an old spiritual, you know, an old Negro spiritual. A sense of coming up into the presence of God. To see him on his own terms, not on our terms. And that's really what I'm hoping is going to be uh, one of the kind of leftovers, the, the lasting benefits of this morning's ministry and also this last eight weeks of teaching. So let's get right into it. And uh, my first little text here is out of 2 Corinthians. And uh, it says this, and and this really in many ways sums the whole thing up. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, those of you who've been Christians a little while will know that Jesus' parting words to his followers were this, go into all nations, go everywhere, and make disciples. And that word disciple essentially means a follower. And to be a disciple is a call to change and transformation. It's not about finding a cozy, safe place, although that may for a season be part of what we receive from God. It's about embarking on a journey, setting, setting sail on a, on a new voyage of discovery where God begins to work in us and works transformation. You know, a, a, pastor, a number of pastors and I meet every Wednesday to pray and we were praying this week and we were just reflecting on the process of making disciples, doing that which Jesus called us to do. And, uh, you know, there are very many points on that. There may be the moment where you make a decision, where you one day realize or one day you decide or however it came to you that you want to be a follower of Jesus. Well, that is a significant moment. But that's not the end of the story. You know, you do, in a very real way, cross to the other side of the tracks or, you know, you cross to the other side and you, you begin to, 
map out your life uh, in partnership with God, and that's a very exciting thing. But actually, you know, when we try and measure how we're doing as a church, really we have to ask, ask this question, and that's are we seeing transformation in, in the people of God? Are people coming in and, and through the, all that we do and God does in us, are we seeing lives transformed? And to me, that's the biggest thrill. And every staff member and every small you know, life group leader and every ministry leader will tell you the same thing. We, we love to see the transformation which the Holy Spirit brings. And we come to the Lord in all sorts of states and situations and, and with various needs. And, and, and we could, you know, we know all about that. That's just part of being a human being, I guess, to have needs and, and need God to help us. But, but one hopes that, that actually we move beyond that. And again, that's what I want to try and communicate this morning. I want to talk about the glory of God and what that means and how we bring glory to God and what is glory for God and, 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 and you know, how does that work anyway. So that's the kind of area we're looking at this morning. You know, being transformed to, to look more like Christ and to be more like Christ and to be more the church he wants us to be in order that we might bring glory to God, but also that we might recognize and see and appreciate with a new freshness his glory. So that's where we're going. Okay, the word glory in, in the New Testament, I'm not going to even baffle you, bamble, bamboozle myself or you with Greek, but there's basically two ways it's, it's used. And the first one is it's to win a good reputation. And uh, I'll say a bit more about that in just a moment. And the second one really is... An inherent quality. Now, this is a little more difficult to try and explain, but I'm going to have a crack at it. You know, Rick is red-haired. Sorry, but that's just the way it is. He's a ginger. And actually, hooray! Various gingers clapping enthusiastically there. And you know what? The truth is, we wouldn't have it any other way, would we? Because, yeah, that's right. Because, yeah... Because if Rick wasn't ginger, he wouldn't be Rick, would he? No, No, thank you. And actually, God is glorious. He is glory. And to have it any other way would mean that he wouldn't be God. He he, he wouldn't be him. And, And one of the things about being God and being glorious is that it it should impact and should affect us. And we in the church should, should, should be that place where God is, is, is seen in his glory. We, we should reflect something of that to the world too. And we should know him as a glorious, great and wonderful God. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God. That's what we read in that little passage. And, and so the first thing, you know, a good reputation... Very important in Jesus' day that the the Jewish scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, you know, a man's reputation was everything. Very, very high. And so, interestingly enough, Jesus' teaching draws on that. Let's just just sort of say one or two more things about a good reputation. You know, Jesus said that we should be salt and light in the world. Somebody remember that? Matthew 5. And what Jesus says about being salt and light is that you know, salt brings seasoning, it brings flavor, flavor to life. We should bring flavor to life, to the life of the community around us. We should bring light. We should be a place where there's integrity, 
spoke on that a few weeks ago. A place where there is honesty and, and good and wholesome dealings with one another. And what Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, you know, as you do your good works before men, not in secret, interestingly enough, as you do your good works, so people will see what you do and bring glory to your Father in heaven. So the church actually has a responsibility to be the church and to be all that God intends the church to be in order to bring uh, uh, glory to God. You know, winning that good reputation thing, salt and light. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a, an interesting thing and, and a responsibility. I love it, for example, that Vineyard Active went out last uh, Saturday on Delfield. And uh, is, is Emma here? How many people went out for that? Is Emma here? Emma, how many people did you have, Emma and John? Nearly 80 people went out from this church. They had an outstanding morning and served the community and, and cleaned, cleared gardens and dusted houses and, and did every, anything that they needed doing. Well, people see that and, and, and some will say, what nice people. This nice young man came to my house and mowed my lawn this morning. Others will say, oh, it's that vineyard church. You know, gosh, they're lovely people. But, you know, what we hope is that they'll go beyond that and they'll say, my gosh, why would they do that? Why do you do this? And I would lay money on the fact that people asked our workers, you guys, that morning, the question, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it? Tell me again. Why, why would you want to tidy up the rubbish at the bottom of my garden? Why would you do that? And people say, well, we're just the church. No, you can't, you know, you can't pay me. We're just the church showing God's love to the world. And it creates wonder and thought. And it brings glory to God. It wins a reputation for him. Salt and light. Other things, of course, like the feed ministry, which, which just continues to, to, to storm along. And by the way, guys, we can't say it enough. We really need you to bring those extra provisions in. You know, when you go shopping, please, please, please. We started with a really nice uh, storehouse, but, but the need is such that we're, our, our resources are being depleted. So, you know, bring in those baked beans and all those other bits and pieces that you do. We need these resources because... The word is out there. Uh, just one little example. We have just recently had a, a whole group of young offenders who are sort of in a transition house. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name in case one or two of them are in the congregation this morning. But, but they are living on benefits and they get a check which is supposed to last them for two weeks, about 80 pounds that's for everything. That pays for the, you know, the 50p in the meter. That's everything they have to live on. They cannot make that. They cannot make it stretch. They heard that we were giving free food away. And they, they, don't have, they can't afford the bus. Fare. They walk down from the center of town to get food. And they go staggering away with enough food to see them through. I wish you could see it. It's a kick. It really is. It's a thrill. So guys, please keep bringing this food in. You know, and, and pray over each can that you put in, the, in your, your trolley for them. We need this food. But all of this brings glory to God. It's salt and light. It's being the church. It's being what Jesus intended to, do, to, to be. And then, of course, there are other ministries. Ministries like Flicks, our ministry to old people. I think we had 70 or 80 come last time when we showed Casablanca and gave them a meal. And, you know, you think we're a very young contemporary church, but, you know, there are people, many of us here have a compassion and a heart for the elderly, and particularly Jeff Sutton, who heads that ministry up and his team. 
And it's one of those unsung ministries, but wonderful things. Salt and light, being the church so that people see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But I want to spend more time. It's some ways easier to describe that and explain that on the next thing, this inherent quality. And that's what we're going to spend the next little chunk of my talk on. And uh, I just want to... Remind, uh, just tell you a story. When I was a kid, about nine or ten I would be, my father, who worked for the BBC, he said to me during a holiday, he said, Chris, do you want to come to work with me today? And I thought for a minute. It didn't take long. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'd love to do that. I didn't know what he did. I know he worked for BBC television in the 60s, and, and, and I thought he was something important. But anyway, so I went with my dad up to the television center in White Hart Lane and uh, went in there. And the first thing I noticed was the, the, commis- the, the co- commissioner, is that what you call them? The guy on the door, knew his name, said, good morning, Mr. Lane, and opened the door. And then we started walking through the corridors and we went up to his office and he had a nice big office and I played with the stapler and the pencil sharpener and all the usual things. And then we went into the canteen and we walked into the canteen and it was, it, you know, there were quite a few people, famous people there. I saw Eric Morecambe there of Morecambe and Wise. I saw Eric Sykes. Eric Sykes, many of you won't know him, but those who are a bit older will know Eric Sykes, the comedian. Eric Sykes came up to my dad and said, Hi, Ronnie, you know that program on the so-and-so-and-so? I'm thinking, this is Eric Sykes. He's talking to my dad. Boy, my jaw dropped. And then as the day went on, time and again, my father was just going, it was, you know, we were going into various little meetings and he introduced me and I met famous people, Dudley Moore. And at the end of the day, about four o'clock, my father said to me, would you, hey, what day is it? Thursday. Hey, Chris, how about we go down to the Blue Peter studio? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I've just died and gone to heaven. I might get to do some sticking and gluing, you know. With one they'd used, made already, you know. We walked down there. As we're walking down there, we pass another studio and Rolf Harris is rehearsing his show. So my father said, stop. Come on, let's go in there. And Rolf Harris says, hi, Ronnie, how are you doing? Rolf Harris knows my dad. <laughs> and then he, he, he was very kind with Rolf Harris. He said, okay, Chris, let's, hey, I've got a little thing in my show. And how about, how about you do it with it? And, and I went, I was so starstruck, I couldn't do it. And he said, okay, well, well, how about this thing? Can you do this thing? Slap your knee and do that. You, come on, everybody, try that. Come on, just try it. See, one, two, three, slap your knees. And you cross like that. It's a bit of a, you end up poking your eye out, I know. It's going to end in tears. And I tried to do that, and Rolf could do it really well. He went faster and faster, and I couldn't do it. And I was just so blown away. I was so total- and in the end, he said, well, you, we, we're doing the show live tonight. You're welcome to stay, and I'd love to have you up. And I said, oh, no, thank you very much. And I bottled out. I was just too overwhelmed. And so in this kind of haze of, my dad is a superstar, I get taken into the Blue Peter studio. Yes! <laughs> and I got a Blue Peter badge and met Chris Bracia. Or whatever his name was. It was astounding. And at the end of it all, we got on the tube and we came home. A great day out of wonderful memory of my dad. But you see, I tell that story because we come to God for all sorts of reasons. Out of need and desperation, hunger, thirst, brokenness, vulnerability. 
and we need a healer and we need someone to help us pay the bills or give us some groceries and we come to God for whatever reason but the reality is we all need a bit of an eye opener because he's more than we think he is he's more than we think he is Now, the disciples had an experience in Jesus' life and ministry where just that sort of thing happened. I'm just going to read that story. Thank you. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured, transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So these guys gathered around Jesus. He recruited them personally. He met them on the lake when they were fishing. He met them in the tax booth. Matthew, come on, follow me. And they decided to follow him. And And they were still trying to work out who he was or what he was about. And they listened intently to his teaching. And they asked him questions as they sat around the campfire at night, late at night, when all the crowds had melted away. And as the embers were dying down, they would be asking questions of Jesus. But he was always the Jewish carpenter. He had dirt under his nails. He had, you know, dry and crusty feet through walking those, as did everybody, as did walking through walking those Galilean roads. But one day, Jesus invites just three of them, you know, and and there's a challenge in that for me, I think, because there were the crowds, many, many followers. There were crowds and then there were followers within that. And then out of the the crowds, there were the 12, those, those special ones. And yet out of the 12, it's only three that actually got it, who actually saw it who actually knew him as he really was. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I really, really am at that stage in my life where I still have needs and still have hopes and things I'd love him to do for my family and myself and oh, all that stuff. But I am at that place in my life where I want Jesus to reveal to me who he truly is on his terms. I want to know him, if it were possible, as he would be known by a human being. I want that. And I so want that for this church. Now, if you've come today for the first time because you're struggling, I want to affirm you. I want to say to you personally, welcome home. You're in the right place. There are many stories where Jesus saw the crowds in their need and The text says his stomach churned. He was moved with compassion for them in their neediness. He said they're like sheep without a shepherd. 
And even though he was tired and he was exhausted, he pulled over and he ministered to them. He fed them in the desert twice. You know, he taught them. He raised their dead. He, he prayed blessings on their children. You're in the right place if you've come out of need, if that's where you're at. That's totally fine. All I'm saying is please don't let it stop there. Because I want to be one of those three disciples and I want us to be a church that actually gets it. That rejoices and works hard in all of that. But gets it who Jesus really is. And only three of the twelve were invited to go up that mountain with Jesus. Now what happens next is interesting. Because it says here, verse 2, there he was transfigured. That means, how do I begin with this? To be transfigured is, is to really see someone in a new light. That's as good a way as I can do it. But more than that. And, and actually it's descriptive here. But what is interesting here, and I just want you to note this, is that what, what is about to happen to Jesus happens in a, 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 a specific order. Now, in the Old Testament, there's a story of Moses, a great leader, and he's going to feature in this story in just a moment. Moses, one of the greatest leaders of Israel, led them out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and round the, the desert for 40 years. Jesus, uh, Moses is described by God himself as his friend, as a humble man, as, as probably one of the greatest leaders of Israel, if not the greatest leader. But Moses, at, at a given point, was called by God to come up a mountain to meet him, and as a result, in reaction to Moses' encounter with God, Moses started to glow. And he came down the mountain and he had to wear a veil. That's why in that 2 Corinthians passage it says, we are like those with unveiled faces. But Moses had to come down and wear a veil because he was dazzled. It was like he was really, really, really reflecting the glory of God. But what happens here in this story, please note this, is a fundamental difference. You know, Jesus himself begins to glow. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not that Jesus meets with God and begins to glow and lights up. What happens is that Jesus himself is God. And in this situation, it's as if he can take off his, his if you like, Take off his outer jacket and, and rest and be himself. And he begins to radiate because he is glorious. Now the next thing that happens is that Moses and Elijah appear and start talking with Jesus. Now for these three good Jewish boys, that would have been like meeting David Beckham, uh, Bill Gates, uh, and whoever else all in one go. They were the absolute, without question, superstars of their world. And they were both dead. How cool is that? And now they're there on the mountain. And they're talking with Jesus. And Jesus isn't groveling before them. He is radiating. He looks like, how can I describe it, the archangel Gabriel. And they're the ones, Moses and Elijah. Moses was was the, the lawgiver, and Elijah was the great prophet of Israel, the prophet of all prophets. And that's all there was, really, 
in the Jewish nation at that time, the law and the prophets, and here they are absolutely personified in Moses and Elijah. And they are, they are bowing to and conferring with their Jesus. How cool is that? And then Peter, not knowing what to say, has sort of a bit of a, a, bit of a moment here. He says, you know, Lord, it, I, I, it's really, really cool being here. Uh, if you wish, uh, we'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, suddenly the glory of the Father manifests. Father and Son, Father shows up. And the Spirit of God speaks this voice out. Fourth point, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And with that, the disciples respond in the only way that the created order can respond when faced with the glory of God. They fell down and worshipped. An extraordinary insight. They held on to that story. They didn't come down the mountain and blab it out to the other 12. They didn't say, guess what? We're on. You wouldn't believe it. They just carried that one until after Jesus' ascension with them. An extraordinary vision and experience of God. There is so much more. You know, for two or three weeks, friends and colleagues have been saying to me, you know, how are you going to approach this? What are you going to talk on? And da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I said, I just know that I've got to speak on the Holy Spirit and the glory of God. And I said, it's like trying to get an ocean into a pint pot. And I'm the pint pot. Because I don't know what I'm talking about. By that I mean, yes, I have some insight and understanding, as indeed you do. But when you begin to consider it, you begin to realize that God is awesome. God is holy. You know, when the angels, this may interest you, when the angels cry, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. In the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew language works is, is that when something is, is big, bigger, and biggest, you just repeat it. So if there's a hole in the road... It's a hole. If it's a big hole, it's a whole hole. If it's a really massive great big hole, it's a whole whole hole. Right? So when they talk about a holy God, they're not just writing a, a few words for a chorus so that we can sing. When the angels say, holy, 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 what do you think that means? And in this day and age, the world needs a church that is a serving church, a generous church, a humble church, a culturally relevant church so that people can connect and not trip over the incidentals or the paraphernalia. But it also needs a church that has been up the mountain and caught a glimpse of the glory of God. If we don't have that element, if the Holy Spirit won't work in us, that transformation as in 2 Corinthians 2, we are in trouble, folks, because we begin to reduce God to a lucky charm. Oh, Lord, get me a parking space. Oh, Lord, may this interview go well. 
Oh, Lord, I've got to speak to so-and-so at work about this, that, and the other. I'm not looking forward to help. These are good prayers. Oh, Lord, I'm really nervous about those medical results. Oh, Lord, I'm hurting. My partner died. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm devastated. I've got cancer. You know, whatever these things are, it's right that we bring them to God. First Peter, it says, bring all your anxious thoughts to God, for he cares for you. But we have to get beyond that. We have to carry with us that hunger, that thirst, that desperation that God would privilege us with a revelation of his glory so that we can know him as he truly is. And to sum up, and then we'll have the worship team up and we'll do a little bit of ministry here, but as I'm saying, as I've, I've, I hope I haven't overlabored it, probably have, but there you go. Jesus is the Son of God. That was, that was what Father said about him. He, he wasn't just a teacher, a miracle worker, a, a prophet, as some would say. and They'd go that far, but no further. He is the Son of God, and I say is because he's risen from the dead and reigns in glory even now. And his spirit is abroad in the church, leading us from one truth into other truth. Some of it practical, some of it really, really practical. Integrity issues, healing issues, and the rest. But also, we're citizens of another kingdom, as I've tried to teach you over these last few weeks. We're dancing to another tune. There's another script, another film score playing in the back of our minds. Something that has eternal consequences and value. And yes, Jesus may be my healer, and we want him to be, thank you, we want him to be that. He may also be my, my friend. And that's one of the extraordinary things about the gospel. It's a great strength, and it's also a great weakness. One of the things that I found, and many find, that, that a God who they were actually basically terrified of because of their upbringing or their... their, their traditional church background or whatever it was, wants to, be revealed, wants to reveal himself as friend. Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. So that's very much a part of the gospel. And if that's where you're at, welcome home. You're in a good place, you're in the right place. But also, as I've tried to teach this morning, he's also that one to whom we say, my God. My God. And with that, a new song begins to, to rise up within us. It's an incredible song. You can read through the book of Revelations, particularly the final few chapters, and there are songs upon songs, layers upon layers, harmonics upon harmonics, melodies upon melodies. And I'm just going to, to read one little passage here as the band comes up and we lead into a time of ministry but would you mind just standing please while I read this this final passage as we draw the talk to a close Revelation 5 9 through 14 says this and they they sang a new song not the old song not the song that brought them in they sang a new song It went something like this. 
You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain. And with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and under the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures close to the throne of God said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, you know my prayer, our prayer was that this morning, as within any morning, that you would draw us up the mountain and that, Lord God, we'd catch a glimpse of you as you truly are. A helper, a friend, a healer, a savior, a prophet, a teacher, but more than that, the one who is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. May we here in the 21st century be a people who catch a glimpse of that and may it change our lives. And everyone said, Amen.